capturing the world. Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is your host, David Carmichael II. And for some reason, while we were recording, I said we were recording episode 42. But actually, this is episode 43. So if you hear me say episode 42 during the podcast, just to know that this is actually episode 43. Um, and this podcast was recorded on June 28th. And um, this is a real great episode. So I hope that y'all like it. All right, y'all have a good one. Peace. Capturing the world. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is David Carmichael II. This is episode 42 of the Capturing the World podcast. And I have another great special guest. Um, she began her journey as a fashion designer, boutique owner, model manager, graphic designer, creative writer, and creative director. And she now has her own um, magazine called uh, Hante. I might have said it wrong. Hante, Ohio Magazine. Um, her name is Jackie Bosolet. 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 Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, thank you for. Um, joining us today on this podcast um thank you so much and i also want to give a shout out to all of our spotify listeners um and all of our apple podcast listeners um this is episode 42 and i'm introducing jackie how you doing today i'm doing wonderful thank you thank you for having me thank you as well thank you so much um so yeah so um you have done a lot of things um so far mm-hmm. and you, right now you have your own magazine um so first i wanted to kind of get into you know um i guess your journey and how you started doing what you're doing and uh what i read first was um you wanted to follow your aunt's footsteps and begin um sewing your own clothing um what how did how did your aunt inspire you to do that and um yeah pretty much what what made you want to start doing that well, I started, um, I'm very tall and very thin, and uh, I was never able to buy right off the rack like many people. Right. So my aunt was quite a domestic sewer, and she did, you know, like household things, and she was a quilter. And um, so she was beginning to learn apparel, and so together we learned how to do apparel. And um, she just inspired me to keep going, and she kind of went on to more like um, quilt kind of fairs, but I continued to sew my own clothes. And um, eventually people started to notice what I was wearing and suddenly I was making clothes for other people. So <laughs> that's right. when I became a fashion designer. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. So like um, how long did it did it take you to really start to know what you were doing when it, when it came to sewing? As far as sewing goes? Yes. Um, I was oh, probably 10 years later. I learned to sew when I was 14. Right. I was probably 24, 25. I was out of college with um, my photography degree, headed to start my career. Mm-hmm. And um, mostly started with um, lead singers of bands. Originally, I had gone into uh, music production as far as photography for like album covers and promotion. Okay, cool. And some of, yeah, and some of the, uh, the, head, the frontliners were really interested in some of the clothes I was wearing. And so suddenly I was, you know, 
sewing for front men and, and that's really how it all kind of came together. So I was kind of doing photography and I was sewing at the same time. So it's kind of unique. Cool, cool. Yeah, because the, the thing about sewing, because um, if you didn't know already, like this this podcast is kind of based off my clothesline too. So I'm kind of, I want to say I'm a fashion designer, um, but I, my 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 brand is called Capture the World. So it's like it's like mm-hmm. a streetwear brand, and I do like mm-hmm. t-shirts, hoodies, and hats like that. Um, but I wanted to get into sewing, and I know how to um hand sew. Like, I know how to like sew my um my labels, my clothing labels into my clothing. I know how to, how to do that by hand, but I don't know. I really don't know how to use a, um, a sewing machine. I did take one sewing class, um, like sometime last year. Um, but yeah, it's like, a you have to really put time into it. And it takes a while to really know what you're doing mm-hmm. when it comes to sewing. Yeah. So, so I, I was, um, in the beginning, like, I'm not like school taught, if you will, you know, you know, highly skilled fashion designer. Um, so we learned the basics together, my aunt and I, and then over the years, I just trial and error as to what worked and what didn't. So I'm not sure if it'd be technically correct, but as far as I'm concerned, they look awesome. And, um, you know, I think overall they basically are the same. I'm really, really good at princess themes. Those are the one thing that I I have a a particular talent for. So a lot of my clothes have princess themes because I can whip them out really quickly. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, (laughs) So like you began doing that and then, um, well, did you, did you have anybody else that influenced you along the way when it came to like all uh, your endeavors? I've had, yeah. I've had a number of um, influencers along the way, uh, but as far as sewing goes, that's where I started with my aunt. Um, my mother's always been a huge inspiration for me. She's always been career minded and very focused on um, being successful and whatever, whatever um, meaning that means to you. Um, so, and then I've got, you know, the typical um, Anna Winter who runs, um, of course, the editor-in-chief of Vogue, American Vogue. So I've watched her career, and back in the day, there was Helen Grove Brown and a couple of other editors that I really watched their career as they were going. Because I kind of always knew I wanted to work in a magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, My goal originally was um, to get my photography degree, which I did do. And I almost completed a graphic design degree because I wanted to go into creative direction at a magazine. So um, it was kind of always my goal and I would follow them in their careers. Um, I guess the thing I never knew was that it was going to be my own magazine that I owned it. I (laughs) always imagined working for somebody else. Awesome. Um, So did you, I know your magazine is is based like in Ohio. Um, Is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in Ohio? Yes, I did. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. Okay. Um, I've had a couple of jumps around the country uh, for college and, you know, a couple other here and there's, uh, but most of my life has been in Northeast Ohio. Yes. And the magazine focuses on Ohio and Midwest talent because we have some incredible world-class talent here that people don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though we focus on that, it, we are not limited to that at all. We have designers from all over the world and models from all over the country and Canada and Mexico and so we certainly go beyond our borders, but that's what our focus is. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's awesome that you're doing that and giving people um, around that area an opportunity to, to to showcase what they have to offer. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you you spoke on um, you doing photography. So like, what kind of led you to wanting to do that and go to school for that? Pretty much. Well, the interesting thing on that one is that. Back in the day when I was in school, 
there wasn't a whole lot of option as far as career goes for women. Right. Uh, we did have career options, but they were very limited. So my initial um, endeavor when I went into college was to be a um, actually a child psychologist. So as I was in there doing the, um, the humanities classes, I came across photography and, and like, I knew immediately that this is what I wanted to do, but I had no idea that that was something that I could do right. until I took that humanities class. So that pretty much changed a lot of things in my life. And the next thing I knew, I was signed up for, um, for commercial photography. So yeah, two years later, I had my degree. <laughs> cool. So like, um, what school did you go to to, to get that? Uh, it is now a closed school, but it was then called Antonelli Institute of Art and Photography in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's been changed to an art institute now. Oh, okay, okay, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. So I know. And speaking of that, because I have, um, I have two friends that do photography, and um, they mm -hmm. kind of actually, yeah, both of them had um, been involved in doing like photo shoots with my own clothing brand, and um, it's okay. kind of. Um, it's it's great that I have friends that do photography because, you know, it, it kind of helps me be able to do what I want. And it's like, you know, they kind of help me out on doing photo shoots and I really don't have to pay like a lot of money to get like a lot of professional mm -hmm. shoots done. Um, mm -hmm. and, and speaking on what you do, too, you, you were saying that, you know, you was doing like album covers for people. And um, I'm pretty sure you know who this is. Um, Jonathan Man Manning, Mannion. He's um. I got a chance to meet him one time um, at this conference in California. And I guess he's like a famous um, photographer. He does like um, a lot of hip hop album covers. So okay. he did like yeah. album covers like Jay. -Z. I think I'm older than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, he's, been, he's been in the game yeah. but, for a long time. It wasn't really though. happening back in the day. <laughs> right. It was starting. But um, yeah, I was definitely focused on the um, rock and roll. I mean, Cleveland rocks, Cleveland, Ohio. All obviously, you know, I kind of just went along with what we were doing. So, but hip hop was just starting. So I'm not really familiar with him, but I am familiar with a number of the rock and roll photographers, like Annie Leibovitz. There's some really famous ones. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you said. Uh, you was oh also you you was doing um I read that she was doing like half fashion modeling while you were trying to get your degree, um so That's like good. what made you want to get into that um pretty much modeling yes well it it was one of those I was you know at the mall and somebody stopped me I am very tall I'm six foot and very thin so I kind of am model esque so. It was far from the first time anyone had asked me if I wanted, you know, if I did model. But I was, uh, when I was in school, it kind of wasn't cool to do that kind of stuff and to be into fashion and all that. So I never really pursued it until somebody actually offered me that option. Um, and that happened during my um, initial pursuit in college. So that's kind of how I, it, it's one of the ways that I helped to fund my photography school because it's a very expensive endeavor. Right. So, yeah. So that's how I handled it. It just happened to fall in my lap. So, mm -hmm. that's cool. And so you you was actually getting paid to do that. Hmm. Is that you? I or think you? that's me. Yeah. I'm using my MacBook, so like my text messages come to my computer now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, so you was actually getting paid to do modeling. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. that's, yes. that's cool. I did a lot of runway back then, you know, so um, like I said, I'm really tall. 
Um, I wasn't great in front of the camera, but that was one of the um, one of the sort of the avenues that got me into photography. So I was working the runways before I was able to take the photography class in school. And so once I had both of those, the prints and the um, photography, I kind of knew this was it. But I'm much, much, much better behind the camera. Uh Um, But I can coach models. I mean, I can make a model out of anybody because I know exactly what it needs to look like on, well, film. I say film, but you know what I'm saying. Right. On image. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. So, like, what um, what kind of shows did you do? And like, was you able like to travel a lot of places doing doing modeling during that time? And I was modeling. No, I did a lot of um, Midwest stuff. I was still in college, so I couldn't really travel too much. Right. Um, I never really pursued modeling as a career because I quickly transitioned into photography. But um, I did do a lot of um, coaching and. Um, and scouting, which I still do now. So I manage models now and, and I, I develop them and get them ready to really, you know, store if they want to follow that career path. Right, right. And um mm-hmm. uh, another thing I've I've asked before is as somebody that I know that that she does modeling. Um is it always preferred to be like be tall when you're when you're modeling? Is that is that like a standard throughout anywhere you do modeling? Um, so in the major markets, that would probably be very true, very tall, very thin. Um, but in the secondary markets, the smaller ones like the Midwest or, um, you know, the Southeast or anything like that, those would be much more forgiving. So um, I know for myself uh, in the magazine that I do, Hold Ohio Magazine and Ohio Fashion Week, which I also run, um, I am dedicated to 100% inclusion, so I don't even ask those questions when I'm, you know, meeting someone for the first time through internet or whatever. A lot of people will email me. I don't even ask so much what their height is or or weight or any of that. Doesn't really matter. I'm looking more for the inner beauty, so that's kind of how I locate models. So I manage models that range from age of six all the way up to age 47. Uh. Um, I manage males and females. I have plus size. I have petite. I have um, challenge models. I have LGBTQ. It, it doesn't matter to me what the outside looks like because I can make you a model. Um, to me, it's more important what's inside because if there's not beauty inside of you, if you don't feel beautiful in the beginning, then you can't beautiful on the outside so that's very true that's very true and um yeah that's awesome that you know you give a uh, opportunity to pretty much everyone because um mm-hmm. you know it's hard out here trying to you know follow your dreams man and it's trying to find people that believe in you is um i won't say it's hard but you know if you find that one person that does believe in you and gives you a chance that goes a long way to, to helping them further their career mm-hmm. so that's very that's very great that you're doing that um mm-hmm. And um, I know that you had your own, um, you know, your own struggles, um, you know, growing up. And I know that I read that, you, that your third child had a serious brain infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you decided to be a stay at home mom during that time. Um, mm-hmm. so how was you how were you able to, um, I guess, somewhat get through that? And how did that really affect your your life, you know, during that time? Well, that was kind of a whammy out of left field, as you can imagine. Right. Um, 
I had worked out of the house as, you know, at, in a day job, you know, for all my career. So um, I actually had quite a nice position that I had to resign from because when my son went into the hospital, it was a long stretch. And I couldn't, you know, they didn't, I didn't have that much vacation time. Right, <laughs> so right. I had to resign my position. And um, I was a graphic designer. And so the, those were very hard, at least at the time, were very hard positions to find. There weren't a lot of them. And um, so, but my son was very sick for several, several months. And um, he could not be left alone at all. He had to have constant supervision. And he was almost three before we were able to even take him, you know, into normal situations and he was cleared medically. So by that point, it, I was out of the loop as far as technology goes, because, you know, three, four years after a graphic design degree, walking away from that field, you're kind of, you've got to start all over. Right. Um, so basically one thing led to another and my husband and I talked about our options and um, we did try brick and mortar school with him for first grade, but it just did not go well at all. There was a lot of bullying and a lot of sadness and tears and, and loss of confidence. And so we ended up bringing him to homeschool. So I virtual school him right. and um, that is my priority always. So because I've been home really since I resigned my position, uh, my husband and I discussed it and we just decided that it was, you know, perfect opportunity to try to reach for goals that I always had, but was never able to follow because I was working all the time. Uh -huh. So it just worked out well. My husband helped me have the courage and the strength to do it. And here we are five years later. Right. Right. And, um, you say you were doing graphic design during that time. Um, what, what kind of things were you doing? Like what kind of graphic design were you doing? Like just like making logos or like what what exactly were you doing during that time? I was actually um, the art department for an insurance company, so it was just me. Okay. <laughs> but I did um, all of the graphics for all of their conventions, so everything from name tags to PowerPoint presentations to meeting scores to the music, and I mean I did all of it. So a lot of computer work but a lot of it in PowerPoint and Audition. Um, I'm really adept at Photoshop, although. Yeah, I dabble with Photoshop too. I spent a too. lot of time in Photoshop as a photographer. Yeah, oh yeah, most definitely, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was doing. I really was, you know, everything from flyers and introduction marketing stuff all the way up to, I mean, everything that they needed. Something for the web, I created the banner. If they needed, um, um, Folders for to sell for sales, you know. I did folders, so pretty much all the art that that goes along with that kind of a business. Okay, okay. And um, mm -hmm. that's looking at your resume. Like I know you, you like a jack of all trades, like a fashion designer, boutique owner, mm -hmm. model manager, graphic designer, creative writer. Um, the thing about the boutique owner, um, do you still own a boutique now, or that was something that you did like back then? No, that actually was my first um. Um, sort of endeavor when we decided that I was going to start going into fashion. Um, and I did that. I had a three-year uh, lease on the building and it went very well. We had retail on one side. It was sort of a, a two-part 
building. One side was actual retail, and then the other side, I had sort of a mini manufacturing where I had multiple sewers working with me, okay. and we were creating my line, um, and we would sell that and do custom clothes out of there. But when the um, when the lease came up, uh, we had some issues, and we decided not to renew. So it wasn't about I don't know about a year later that we started launching the magazine. So kind of all was like preparation for where we are today right right um what was the name of your line you, my line is yeah. called rj luna Haute clothier okay and um what what kind mm -hmm. of clothing was that like mainly women's clothing yes i mean i do it all but i definitely am better at women's clothes yes and i'm better at like evening wear and um, avant-garde okay so i i still sew and um I don't do a lot of custom because um, I, I can't guarantee deadlines like I used to be able to now. Um, but when I sew, I sew things that are more editorial, things that I, I use in my photography and things that I use on the runway to capture attention. So some of them are wearable and some of them are kind of not. <laughs> right, right. So the only thing that the red is that um, they are always family friendly. I do not ever cross that in I got you. And speaking on when you saying like some things are wearable, some things are, you know, kind of not wearable. And mm -hmm. like me, thing, like what I had to learn, like me just, because I'm 29 now and it's me you know, looking at different fashion shows and, you know, we might think some things are like weird looking, like, you know, those, those things at Paris Fashion Week. And mm -hmm. we're wondering like, man, nobody would never wear that. But like me or some of us don't really understand. Like that's the point, I think, for some of those um runway uh things like it is it's because it, fashion is art and sometimes you know those designers just make things that are purposely not meant to be worn that's a way of expressing themselves and mm -hmm. um you know it's like we just kind of look at fashion as like everything is meant to be worn but it's everything is not like some things are just statement pieces and just ways to express mm -hmm. themselves so um, exactly. I can kind of, I kind of look really good in a fashion editorial. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so much more interesting than just you know a skirt and a top or something. So. Right, gotcha. Um, so like when you, because for me as like a main like a streetwear um designer, I would like go into like uh, Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop, and I'll create my designs on there, and I basically just trying to find like blank T-shirts you know, good quality blank t-shirts now, like put my design on that as compared mm -hmm. to someone that designs from scratch. Like, you know, you gotta, I guess, get, make a pattern for your design and find your fabrics. Like, um, for you, when you did that, like how, how hard was it, to, was it to find like, I guess manufacturers that were able to like produce the fabrics that you wanted and, and all that. Cause like back, like now, I guess you can go to Alibaba and, find manufacturers through there and tell them what you want to do and all that. But how was it back then when you didn't have all these different apps? Well, I did never produced mass, you know, did mass production to me, a large run was, you know, 15 pieces. I live very close to Amish country, one of the Amish settlements. And, right. um, I had people in the store that would sell for me. And then I had a group of Amish ladies who were actually a family that um, would do the, the reproductions, if you will. So we would sew the samples in the store 
and then send them over to the um, to my Amish crew, and they would do multiples of that. So I never really did mass production, and um, that even was kind of short-lived, only a couple of years, because it, it's it's very costly, even on small runs. If you're not, you know, if you're not selling them, or if only one of them sells and you have 15 of them, then now what do you do with them? You know, so right. it's um, it's an interesting endeavor to be a fashion designer. There is no doubt about it. It's a balance. So that's how I ended up doing just one of a kind couture type stuff. And um, I really don't have multiples anymore. They're all hand sewn. Well, not hand sewn like hand sewn, but right hand sewn. One, you know, I sew them. Right. Um, but I don't really use patterns. Um, honestly, sore out patterns confuse the heck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They are crazy. I don't understand any of it. So um, I just drape right to the mannequin, and then I uh, then I take it. To, in fact, oftentimes, although people will cringe at this, oftentimes I actually use the fabric that I'm going to use, as opposed to, like I don't really start with muslin first generally. So, yeah, yeah, but I usually get it right the first time so, because I'm not following someone else's pattern. So whatever it comes out to look like is exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah, so. that's a good way to look at it because um, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's it's more of what you want. It's more mm-hmm. of you at the end of the day. Um, yeah. you know, like not saying that using a pattern is wrong, but you know, based on what you do, it's more it's more of you by you making your own style. Mm-hmm. Everything is you. Um. But yeah, um, and I, I kind of I agree with far as the mass production because I really don't do that either. Um, I do almost basically everything um, made to order because for me, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, because um, originally the, the brand came from my father and he passed it down to me. And just, you know, I'm still a small brand right now. And um, mm-hmm. just trying to like make garments is it's not hard, but like, like I said, like trying to go to manufacturers and getting stuff made. Um, most of the time they ask you for a certain amount of pieces, you know, before you can even get yeah. stuff made. So it's like, you know, I already don't want to put all that money into making all these pieces. And I'm not sure if it's going to sell out or not. You know, I'm still trying to build my exactly, um, reputation. Right. And you can't, you know, it's a heavy investment. People don't realize how much money fabric is now. I mean, when I started sewing, you could get fabric for 50 cents a yard, you know, right. it was way cheaper to make your own clothes. But now with, you know, Walmart prices and um, and regular fabric prices, the prices of fabric have risen significantly. And now with mass production, they can sell a shirt for $5. We can't make a shirt for $5. Right. So um, it's really, uh, it's, it's a labor of love because people don't realize how much money it costs to make even one piece. And then um, that kind of harkens on to why there's a lot of misconception about models um, and the industry kind of projecting the quintessential woman being tall and thin and lovely. And, you know, that's not really true as far as the um, industry trying to, to, propagate that theory mm-hmm. you know their concept is not about this is what a beautiful woman looks like you know that people take it that way but it all comes down to finance in truth it's about that a size zero woman takes only one yard of fabric to create a piece for when she's walking down the runway 
Right. So as opposed to a size even six or eight, you might need two or three yards of fabric. And when you're paying, you know, 30, 40, even $100 for a yard, I mean, that adds up when you've got 40 models walking down the road. So right. it's all financial and it's all because the price of fabric just is soaring. So, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, you know, um, as far as fabric and what you said about, you know, you can get a shirt for $5 from some places like maybe H and M and those forever 21s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a lot of us, well, a lot of people that are consumers don't realize what it takes to make clothes, like you said. And, you know, someone like me, I might charge 25 or 30 for a shirt, which mm-hmm. for some people is like, could be expensive. For, it's, it's, you got some luxury brands that charge like 100, 200, 300 for a shirt. But, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I guess some of it is, you know, they do mark up the price, but it is a lot that goes into just making a simple shirt too for them. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's basically, especially the labor, you know, and a lot of people like fast fashion because it's, it's cheaper. You can get clothes cheaper, but mm-hmm. you know, ethically, you know, you got to think of that too. Like how much are they paying these people to make these clothes? So it's mm-hmm. like, you got to think about your pockets too, as a consumer, like, okay, I don't want to spend a lot of money for clothes, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you got to think of how how they're able to do that. Like, as far as the cost of labor and the cost of the fabric, like, it might not be that good of a fabric. And the labor, they're not, mm-hmm. but they might not be, not, might be paying these people that much money to be making these clothes. So, like, you know, for me, that's why I do everything made to order. And I do pretty much half of the stuff myself. Like, you probably can see my heat press in the background. And my screen print machine, it's like my office where I do everything. So it's convenient for me to, um, you know, be able to do these things. And I do outsource some of my um, my clothing. Um, it's like a print-on-demand service. So if someone mm-hmm. goes to my website and buys uh, an item, um, the fulfillment center that I deal with is able to um, make it and ship it out. So that's uh, that's very convenient for me. And everything's yeah. done in the, in the U.S., so... I kind of feel good about myself doing it that way. Um, you know, everything's made in the United States. Nothing against getting stuff made in China, but, you know, I've always kind of felt bad about that, like outsourcing my stuff to them, to those countries, because you know that they're not really, probably not paying that those people that much money to even make those clothes. So uh, mm-hmm. I take pride in being able to keep everything in the country and, um, you know, provide jobs, somewhat providing jobs for people to make my clothes. So, um, but yeah, that's back to what you said. And it's, it's a lot of uh, factors that go into that that's making clothes in general. So, mm-hmm. And the hours to make something. I'm not sure if you just do t-shirts or if you like actually create clothes from scratch. But, you know, it takes um, it, it takes a lot of time just to make a t-shirt. You know, right. if you're actually sewing it, it's not, you know, five minutes and it's done. It's, you know, it can be three hours just to make a t-shirt. So, right. yeah, people really don't understand how I mean, because they're used to manufacturing and manufacturing and automation. It's like, boom, 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 T-shirt, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's okay. There are other, you know, I, I mean, I shop at Walmart sometimes, too. If I, The great thing about the, the smaller discount stores, the, the discount stores, let's say that, um, right. is that it's like a quick and inexpensive way to spice up my wardrobe. 
So like maybe I need something that's like a super pop of floral for something. Well, I can run there and for $5 find something floral that I'll never wear again. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and then I don't have to worry about having, you know, spent, you know, 50 or $60 on a shirt that I know I'll never wear again. So it's kind of disposable, which is, um, I mean, I don't throw them away. I donate them, but, um, right. you know, so everybody has, every niche has their, um, their place in, in, you know, society. So I, I tend to prefer quality pieces over quantity pieces, but. Right. But I certainly do buy some of the quantity as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we all do. You know, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> I mean, buying mm-hmm. clothes can be expensive. And, you know, it's got to, you know, some people got their own things that they like and their own amount of money that they can mm-hmm. spend. And so it's like, you know, let's like say we can't really judge judge each other on what we do and what we buy. But, you know, everybody has their own taste and um, it's a lot of options for everyone to. Right. I mean, for what I've seen for people to buy clothes. Mm-hmm. So, um so yeah that's that's great so um yeah so i know we just talked about your child um about the the brain infection he had and you know, you have to be a staying home mom and that kind of developed or came about your magazine um so mm-hmm. like you said that was a thing that you kind of wanted to do for a long time and it seemed like everything came around full circle like you know i know that your son had the, the injury and everything but you know um he was able to somewhat get through that and it seemed like everything that you've done before that i, mean, I can say probably helps you develop your magazine and like yeah. you being like in modeling and doing photography and fashion design it's like all those all those things make up magazines you got the pictures in the magazine then the the articles and then you knowing about mostly most of that stuff um kind of developed to your magazine. So like what made you want to like have the idea of creating a magazine or being involved in magazines? Um, I've always loved fashion magazines, you know, even when I was in high school and nobody else was, you know, looking at Vogue magazine, I had my secret subscription to Vogue magazine. So I always kind of knew that that was the direction. Um, I didn't know that photography was a possible career then, but I did know that I loved fashion. That's all I knew. Um, so I didn't really know that fashion could be a viable career. I just, you know, okay, well, I dress nicely, you know? Right. Um, so I always kind of knew that fashion was one of my passions. And then when I learned about photography, I, that was like the two of them together were like, you know, match made in heaven. And, um, I'm, I'm really, really talented at editorial fashion. Um, so I like to do things that are a little bit push the envelope, a little bit, you know, unusual things that capture your eyes, um, which is part of why I'm, I'm drawn to Vogue because they do unusual kind of imagery. Uh-huh. Um, so I knew early fashion was going to probably be something that was in my life. I didn't know how, but you know, I thought I just was going to like fashion. Um, but as I found out photography and then I started getting into graphics and I realized that this really was something I could do. I could actually work at this magazine like it never occurred to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never had the, the um, just the guts. I never had the guts to move to New York, even though I wanted to desperately. Um, I was too afraid to go by myself and nobody would go with me. So, right. um, you know, I had to... 
I don't know, I kind of like stayed in the Midwest and did day jobs and, and just did photography at night freelanced. Um, so when the opportunity came up to kind of push my fashion and um, the boutique closed, it just kind of made sense. And, and that was my husband saying, look, this is what you're really good at. Photography is really, you're really good at it. So why don't you start submitting to magazines? And little by little, within a year, I went from submitting to magazines to owning the magazine. So it's really been, it's been crazy. Like if you'd have told me 10 years ago that I was going to own a, a high fashion magazine out of Ohio. Right, <laughs> yeah. Like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> I'm a graphic designer who takes pictures, you know? Right. <laughs> It, so I, I had no idea that this is what my career was going to be. But what was awesome about it was that this gives me the opportunity to provide the opportunity that I never had. Like you couldn't, I mean, you could not be a photographer in the Midwest. You had to move to New York if that's what you wanted to do. You know, I mean, you had to go to the big markets. Uh -huh. um, so now this is a platform for talent who wants to, um, either get their feet wet and see if this is really what they want to do without spending a fortune on school. Right. Or maybe they just want to dabble in it and see if they're any good at it. Or maybe they do want to make a career out of it. And this is a platform for them to kind of get started. And then if they move on, they've got resume and they've got publications behind them. So designers and models and photographers, you know, that's, that's the beauty of this platform. It's, I'm helping other people now with what I wish I would have had, you know, 30 years ago. That right. was really awesome. That's great. Um, so, like, what what goes on? Like, what is, like, um, how can I say this? Like, for you to, to develop your own magazine, um, what goes on behind the scenes? Like, how were you even able to get that started? Like, what was, like, the first step you had to do to, like, launch that or get that idea out there well what i did was because i've been in photography for many years i had a good sort of rolodex if you will of models and and other photographers and people who are you know in the fashion industry um so i basically started with that rolodex and said hey what do you think you know is this do you think we need this? What do you, you know, what do you think the possibilities of this kind of a magazine flying are, you know? So I kind of picked the brains of the people around me. And then I went to Facebook and uh, did a, did a mass poll, you know, Hey, do people want to see this kind of a magazine? And um, it was an overwhelming yes, because there's nothing like this in our area. Um, we do focus on couture as opposed to retail. So we have some retail options, you know, retail publications, but, um, this is specifically couture for designers who are really trying to launch and uh, get their names out there. So, um, many of the pieces are one of a kind and, um, you know, it's just a little bit more unique than any other publication we have that I'm aware of anyway. So, right. That's great. So, um, so like, um, do you have a, like a new issue like every month. That's how it goes. We are quarterly. We quarterly. do, um, yeah, we do winter, which comes out December, the end of December of the previous year. Then we do spring, it comes out March 22nd. We do summer, comes out June 22nd. We do fall, which comes out at our Ohio Fashion Week Gala. 
to whatever is the closest Saturday to the 22nd in September. And then um, we also do, so the main magazine has like articles and columns and, and some really interesting, you know, unique things in it that are a nice read. Um, and then we always, or often, I should say, do a companion issue that is more focused on a non-traditional group of models. So um, we've done challenge models, we've done tattooed models, we've done petite models, we've done models with our pets, we've done plus size, we've done mature. Um, and this one we did with our spring, I'm sorry, our summer that just was released. We did a special um, pandemic issue. So we uh, took all the pictures in the um, lockdown. So all the streets are empty and it's kind of eerie and crazy. Right. <laughs> That's cool. And uh, yeah, speaking of the pandemic, um, has that affected your business um, in any way? Like, how were you able to, like, you know, get through that? Or has that even has that slowed its business down since this mm -hmm. happened? Well, it didn't slow business down, but it changed the business. Right. So um, a lot of what I do is from home anyway. So as far as the family dynamic, it pretty much stayed the same. Of course, I homeschool my son, so that didn't change either. Um, but the focus changed because I quickly became a mask maker. Like I'm sure a lot of people transitioned. You know, some of the some of the chemical companies turned into making um, um, sanitizer. You know, so I, I'd never made a mask before in my whole life, right. and uh, I have now made over five thousand masks. Oh so. boy. Um, it was really good because that's what kept me busy and that's what kept me afloat. So I charged for masks and then I would give a mask with every charged mask. I'd give a mask. So, um, I did a lot of donating and I had a lot of people buy donations to send, you know, like bought a hundred masks to send to the local children's hospital or whatever. Wow. So, so it was just a change in focus for me. Um, the thing that was the most difficult was creating the content for the summer issue because generally we do one massive photo shoot with all of the models and the designers and the stylists all coming together mm -hmm. so that everybody gets to network and know each other so that there's you know some camaraderie but obviously with the lockdown that was not going to happen anymore <laughs> so it was a little difficult to produce this issue um, I had to do one-on-one -on -one shoots with each of the models. I only used models that I managed this time because I wanted to be, you know, as, as socially um, relevant as possible. I didn't want to use outside models for this issue, which I normally do do. Um, so I did individual photo shoots with each model. And then, I mean, we had this whole thing planned out on how it was going to be socially distanced and then wore masks and, um, so I have this whole protocol now for doing photo shoots right. and uh, it took a lot longer. It took almost six weeks to shoot the content because I had to do them one at a time uh -huh. um, when normally it's like a six hour shoot. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it was really interesting because, um, you know, I just got to see the city in different stages of lockdown and uh, reopening, you know, so it was really cool. Really cool. And luckily, we had shot the cover. Um, we focused one of a, a prominent um, fashionista, if you will, on our covers each issue. 
And we had shot our cover for this issue way back in January because of our schedules didn't mesh up. So luckily we had shot that a long time ago. <laughs> that was already canned and ready to go. So we were very lucky there. That's cool. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, the thing that I've, I've talked to like other business owners and entrepreneurs about was, um, you know, learning to adapt, especially during this time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of us, you know, are like, got to think outside the box, you know, and I guess that's one of the, the talents you have to have of being an entrepreneur or whatever you're doing, business owner, um, learning to adapt to the times because, you know, sometimes, you know, some people can get complacent on how things are at the current moment and not really, I mean, of course we, we, nobody knew this was going to happen, but like learning how to think quick and, um, being able to like change things quickly or knowing what to do. Like, okay, well maybe I got to do it this way now instead of how mm-hmm. I used to do it. You know, I got to be, you know, think quick on my feet, be quick on my feet. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's awesomeness to see how a lot of different people are adapting to the situation and how mm-hmm. like different businesses are doing things differently, but in a, in an effective way still, you know, right. and, um, even though you know yeah, some bad things, paradigm shift. I mean, like right. everything that I did, I had as far as the magazine goes, I had to um, kind of reevaluate and and uh, talk with my team and say, "Hey, how are we going to do this?" You know, um, so it, it took some time to make you know to make it feasible and safe, but um, we did figure it out. And it, you have to be able to adapt. No, nobody saw this coming, but there's always something coming that nobody saw coming. Right. You know, so you, if you're going to be a business owner, you, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, relevant, you have to be able to adapt to situations and you're right. Think on your feet because there's always something that gets thrown at you that you're kind of like, Whoa, where'd that come from? Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. It's, it's crazy. But I mean, like I said, you know, a lot of us are adapting and, you know, things are somewhat getting back to normal. I don't know if ever, if it will ever get back to normal as things were. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's a new age and it's going to be a lot of good things to come. A lot of, um, I'm seeing a lot of good things coming from this, even though it's, it was a bad time. People are dying from this. Um, but I guess just like anything, you know, we all going to be able to overcome from this and see a lot of new ideas come, come from this. And, um, yeah, I mean, good things to come. Um, yes. Yeah. So, like, yes. So, um, as far as the magazine, um, like, how are people reaching out to you? Like, do you do people send you things to include in your magazine, or do you search for people, or is it like a little bit of both? Mm-hmm. Um, we are blessed at this time that we don't really have to search necessarily. We put out a call for submissions. Um, but basically when, uh, once we post that we're, we're taking the submissions, you just email us. Um, we do want to see pictures. We want to know where you are, like location wise. And we want to know a little bit about who you are, like inside, you know? Um, so you can just, and, and we work with total newbies who've never done anything before. Um, just want to try to give it a shot all the way up to highly experienced and um, we all work together and we're all helpful and uplifting. So it's a really positive situation and the atmosphere is really um, encouraging. 
So our goal is to build confidence in everybody. So we do take um, submissions on, from designers, from models, from hair and makeup artists. Um, we've done um, pet. We've actually had pet designers. Mm-hmm. We've done textile artists. We've done accessory designers and uh, wardrobe stylists. So anybody who has any you know parts part of bringing us fashion has the ability to be published in our magazine. So we take the submission and then we let you know who's you know if you're coming to the shoot and um, we go from there and then you get published and. Uh, it's really cool because a lot of them have never seen their name in, you know, in a magazine before. So right. it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's real cool. So like, um, basically you just have like a team of people that somewhat decides, you know, what should be included and things like that. I have a team of people who assist me, but they are very specific in what they do as far as assisting. Um, for the most part, it's just me going through the emails and, and deciding, you know, what is um, appropriate for the designers for that. It basically comes down to these are the designers we need to put models in. So I need, you know, we're doing um, we're doing something for kids this time. So I definitely need kids in the magazine, you know. So that's kind of how we decide who's going to be featured. Um, pretty much based on the designer and the wardrobes that are coming in for that issue. So um, it's basically up to me, but if I get a little bit like, "Mm, not sure, then I do consult my team. Okay. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And um, so like you say, you have the kids thing coming up. Um, Do you Mm -hmm. have anything else you have coming up so far that you, that you know about or, or basically just the kids right now? Yeah, well, we have Ohio Fashion Week coming up okay. in September on the 19th. Um, that's when our fall issue will come out, and we'll be shooting that in August. So um, currently that is still planned. Um, we're waiting kind of to see what the governor of our state, you know, what his um, guidelines and parameters are going to be. Right. Uh, because obviously the pandemic is still a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> And we have a pretty large gathering, so we need to make sure that it's okay with our state to hold it. Um, so currently that is planned. Um, and um, we're always looking for models, not only for the one-time you know, shoots at the magazine, but I'm always looking for models for discovered model scouting and management. So my management firm is always scouting models. So That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I've seen... Um... I seen one article about some guy he wanted to do like a uh, like a drive through fashion show. Like it was it's kinda I won't say it's crazy, but I mean I guess trying to adapt to what's going on and I mean we don't know if, if we will be able to hold large functions still, but hopefully we are able to do that soon mm-hmm. later this year. But he had the idea of like doing like a like a pull up fashion show where the fashion show would be outside but everybody will come out with their cars and be able to see like a fashion show like that. Um, mm. But yeah. I haven't seen that one, but it could be an interesting affair. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you know, people are trying to come up with new ideas to kind of adapt mm-hmm. to the situation that we're in. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just a lot going on. But yeah, I mean. I don't think there's any idea that's too crazy to at least, you know, 
address and entertain you know this is this is a whole new world we're facing so everybody's got to figure out how to do business in it so you know as weird as it sounds let's let's give it a shot and see if it's a feasible option you know yeah that's that's true um oh so my last question before we go um any advice to order any entrepreneurs out there if somebody if somebody came up to you and you know asked like one piece of advice um what would you say to them yeah, I think that um, for me, one of the things that was the hardest part of doing my own business was really stepping back and being honest about what I'm not good at. Um, nobody wants to say I'm not good at that. Um, and I am good at a lot of things, but I'm not good at everything that has to do with business. Right. Um, so I think the most important thing is to be honest with yourself about what your shortcomings are and seek out people who can um, strengthen them and be complimentary to them, who will support you and help you through those. Because you may be able to learn it, but um, you know there are certain things you're not going to be able to do, and you have to be able to say, nope, I need to outsource this. Right. Yeah, I can agree, cause especially you know, for maybe someone that's starting their business, and you know, in the beginning, it seems like you have to do everything yourself. Yeah. And then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, once you become, um, once you grow, you you start to get people to be on your team. And it's kind of hard to kind of let certain things go that you had to be in charge of. So it's like mm-hmm. letting it's somebody like else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like letting somebody else like be in charge of something that you had to do. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know. But at the same time, you got to let those things go because you don't want to stress yourself out too much like in the beginning you had to do it but as you're getting gathering your team you gotta let certain things go so you can focus on like you said what you're mostly good at and let those Mm -hmm. other people facilitate those other things Um, right because whatever you're really good at that's probably what your your focus of your business is like for me photography i'm an, an incredible editorial photographer so that makes sense that i'm doing magazines you know um but the behind the scenes stuff I'm not so good at. So, you know, I have to have teams that team members that will pick up the slack for me. I'm not very organized. I'm not good with accounting. Um, so it's more like the office stuff that I need assistance with. Um, and sometimes you just need a fresh pair of eyes, you know, you're just kind of like, well, this part isn't working, but I don't know why. Um, and sometimes somebody can just come in and go, well, this is why, and this is what you need to do. You know, so sometimes right. you kind of, block your own creativity too yeah that's very true that's very true um but yeah that's pretty much all i had um if you wanted to tell you know all of our listeners where they can find you on social media and where they can go to to look at your magazine that'd be great Mm -hmm. so you can get all of the information on the magazine on submissions to the magazine if you want to advertise or sponsor um, and for Ohio Fashion Week, all that information is at Haute Ohio. That's H-A-U-T-E, Ohio.com. And on uh, social media, you can find us on Facebook under both names, Haute Ohio Magazine or Ohio Fashion Week. You could also find Discovered Model Scouting and Management there. And on Instagram, um, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, it would be O-H-F-W underscore official. Awesome, awesome, and um, yeah. So all to all of our listeners, make sure y'all check our stuff out and just check out what she has to offer. 
And um, Jackie, uh, I really appreciate you being a part of this podcast and just having a conversation with me um, from one fashion designer to another. Um, it was great to really, you know, talk about what you had, what you've been doing and what you're doing right now. So I thank you again. Absolutely. You should send me some of your pictures and maybe submit to the magazine. Yes, I was I was thinking about this when you <laughs> when you were talking about that. I was like, man, maybe I should send my stuff to her. Um, because yeah. I'm always um. Sometimes we just do a single look from a designer, and sometimes we do multiple looks from a designer. So you know, there's no nobody too small or too large. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I definitely plan on doing that very very soon. Um, cause I I don't want to I don't really make um clothes for kids, but I I am able to make kids clothes if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, like we can talk about that after the podcast for a second. And, um, yeah, I definitely, we will be willing to do that, you know, send my stuff out to you. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. And if anybody's interested in modeling, have ever, you know, crossed their thoughts and kind of dismissed it as quickly as it came in no, give us a shout out and let's see if we can, you know, if we can help you at least, you know, try to try your dream. Yeah, most definitely. Cause I do know a lot of models. Um, I've done a lot of fashion shows before and, and um, mm-hmm. I've connected with a lot of models and I'm still friends with a lot of models. And from time to time, I will, um, you know, contact them when I have, you know, my own photo shoots and they love my mm-hmm. brand. So anytime I have something coming up, they'd like to be a, a part of it. So I would definitely send, you know, your magazine and everything to them. See if they want to, you know, submit their stuff to you as well. So Perfect. Yes. Sounds wonderful. That's great. So um, this is episode 42 of the Capturing the World podcast. This is your host, David Carmichael II. And um, my special guest, Jackie, like I said before, thank you for being part of this podcast. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. You have a good one. Peace. Thank you.